Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us at Bush Lake and at West, West Tonka Mound, as well as to Chapel. So glad we're together. And I love the fact that we have kids reading the parables to the kids at all of our sites. Thanks for participating. May God's blessing be on you. This was the longest parable of all. And great, great, great job. Thanks for celebrating because we're using children to help us um, through the voice of child, children, we're reminded of our call to be like children in coming to the presence of the Lord. So we're doing that through the whole parable series. So much thanks to all of you. Well, speaking of children, one of my favorite children's books for our kids, and I think it will be for you too, is the very popular story that was written by Judith um, Viors called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Wasn't that a great book? Poor Alexander, nothing goes right. Everything seems to go wrong. And we resonate with days like that, correct? So you really could replace the name of Alexander and put your name right there. Joel and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Because we have them. And I wonder if the book would have been quite so popular if the inverse of the title was true. What if it said, Alexander and the remarkable, spectacular, very good, extraordinary day? Would it have sold as many copies along the way? See, when Jesus went from town to town, we find that he went into these different villages and he was so good to go and be present. And while he went to each of these different given places, people were marked by that experience. And at the end of that gathering, because of who he is and what he did and how he did it, at the end of that day, they would, they would say to each other, no doubt, this was a remarkable, sensational, very good, extraordinary day. And they think about for all of us the same thing. If you've had an encounter with Jesus, to the end that by faith you put your faith in him and you have become a Christian, a Christ follower, then we share in common, we hold in common a remarkable, sensational, very good, extraordinary day. And do you know what that day is? It's the day that the mercy of Jesus touched your face. And the words of Jesus hit home to you, I forgive you. It's the day that you knew, I'm forgiven. And it just sets you free completely. A couple of years or months ago, I was uh, finishing up my message. And in the message, um, I took a little sheet of paper and I asked you to write down three words. And then I asked you to place it into your pocket or to put it on a dashboard somewhere visible. And the words were, I am forgiven. I did that. And I put it into my pocket and have it headed in my pocket um, in those couple of months in different places to remind me of that remarkable, sensational, very good day when the Lord says, you are forgiven, Joel. It's nothing like that day. And if you don't, then the wow of God's mercy fades and days become just like every other day. But if you do, the wow of God's mercy that forgives you of your sin makes you alive. It fosters a spirit of gratitude and it gives you this willing heart to forgive others. And that is the message of the parable of the unmerciful servant. To forgive as you have been forgiven. 
And that really is um, the question of the day. Is there somebody in your life right now that you need to forgive? Can you put them in your heart, in your mind? The reality is, and the fact of life, is that we get hurt. And sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not intentional. But what is most important is how do we respond to the hurt that we go through? And that's what the parable is. So I just want to say, I needed this message today. I've been working on it for a few weeks now. And I'm just going to say, it rocked me. It's made me do some work in my own heart and mind. But can I also say, you need this message today. So I'm going to give it. I'm going to ask you to receive it. Because I think God is going to do a good and mighty thing in our gathering today. So I've entitled the message, Why I Learn to Forgive. And it's such a beautiful thing to learn forgiveness. So we step into it with a question. It's a personal question for you, but a question asked by Peter. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And you almost feel a sense of arrogance. Look at me, Jesus, seven. Because see, in Jewish law, you're only required to forgive up to three times. And Peter's doubling it and throwing a cherry on top. He's magnanimous. Look at me, Jesus, pretty good. And Jesus just rocks his world. And he comes back and responds this way. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. He just takes the lid off and he says, there's no end to the number of times. If you're counting how many times you've forgiven another person, you haven't understood forgiveness. He just opens it up to infinity and beyond. And it sounds like such a ridiculous response. And he knows that it does. So he takes a step back and he tells a story. This is what Jesus did so masterfully. He told stories to help us understand who he is and what he wants us to become in life's journey. And the story that he tells is the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it starts this way. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. So we learn right off the bat, we have a king who has a kingdom. And in the kingdom, the king holds um, everybody accountable that there is an accounting, a settlement of all accounts. So this guy is brought forth, but he has this hopelessly huge amount of debt, 10,000 bags of gold. And of course, what we have here is Jesus uses oftentimes in his teaching exaggeration. What he's communicating is that the debt was incalculable. It was greater than what he could ever pay back. There's just no way he could get himself or his family to come up with what was needed to pay him back. And I think that's the piece that you have here because the king then um, says this is what's going to happen. I'm going to sell you, your family, all of your belongings, and uh, this is so I can settle the accounts. And, and how does the guy respond? He sinks. Have you ever been at a place where you know you're about to lose a lot or everything? He sinks, and this is what he says. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. What's happening is here, he's aware, he goes, I don't know how I got myself into this position, and he gets on his knees, there's a physical posture, and he says, please, forgive me, be patient with me, I'm gonna pay you back, and it's kind of humorous because it's incalculable debt, there's no way he's paying him back. And the king's response, wow. Take it in. The servant's master 
took pity on him. And I, I pause there because in this translation, the NIV, they use the word pity. I like the translations that use the word mercy, compassion, because it shows more fully the heart of God. The servant's master had compassion on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now put yourself in the shoes of that guy, and this is the remarkable, sensational, very good, extraordinary day of his life by which he is set free. And so we begin to step into this journey and we learn from this parable why I forgive. And the first reason I learned to forgive is because God has forgiven me. He's forgiven me. Of my sin, I am forgiven. It's remarkable. And I need to be in touch with the reality of that truth. So Jesus is using our sin to be um, equated to the incalculable debt that we couldn't pay back again. And there's a couple of wows in here. The first wow clearly is about God and not about us, which is why Paul reinforces it in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and following, where he says, you are thereby saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Do not think you could pay it back. You cannot pay it back. Do not think you can earn it by being good. There's not enough good in you to come into that given place to be free around it. It is not something that we earn or even deserve. It is something we simply receive. That's a wow. That is a wow. Don't lose in touch with the wow of the mercy of God to that end. And the second wow is the fact that it is completely free. Which is why Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's not gonna come against you. Your sin is not, no longer, the penalty is not gonna come against you. It's taken care of in Christ Jesus. Man, when you hear that news, there should be a response from the inside that maybe causes you to cry, to maybe sing or to dance, um, or certainly to bless others, because some of you shouldn't dance or sing, for that matter. But on the inside, you can do either. But there's a response to bless others that you're so moved because God forgives me, I get to forgive gladly. That's what Ephesians 4.32 says. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ. God forgave you. I'm forgiven. God, gladly, I'll forgive others knowing that I'm forgiven. So you go back to the guy in the story, he's blessed. He knows he's forgiven to be a blessing. And is that the course that he takes? No. It's astonishing. It's like the wow factor has already faded away. It had just happened. Look, look at the response. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Wow. That is a picture here of one who, instead of blessing, chooses to hurt, even physically hurt, this servant um, that had come along the way. And it's just hard to comprehend he could be in this place, but it takes me to this place. Instead of blessing, he's, he's filled with resentment and anger, and anger and has to get back. So why, why do I forgive? Second reason is certainly because resentment makes me miserable. Don't you agree? Do you just love being around miserable people? Just make your day. Oh, you're a cup of misery today. Fun to hang out with you. 
No, it makes me miserable. And that's what Jesus is communicating here. The reality that there are risks when we don't forgive, and it's in here. The heart gets loaded with anger. It gets filled with resentment. There are a couple risks that are just noteworthy. It blinds me to the fact that I'm forgiven. So I no longer step into the wow of that remarkable, sensational, very good, extraordinary day when I was forgiven and set free because I'm fixed on what somebody else has done to me rather than on what God has provided for me in my own brokenness. So I'm blinded. And then secondly, that anger just takes root and it becomes part of a resentment that takes hold of my heart and my mind and makes me miserable. And that's what happens to this guy. He was forgiven, but he wasn't living forgiven. So sometimes we say yes to forgiveness, but we don't live in our forgiveness, but he calls us to live in our forgiveness as well. And it's so important and so helpful when we do. This guy refused. And he decided to take matters into his own hand and he takes it, he chokes the guy, he physically hurts him. And I go, for most of us, I mean, on rare occasion, um, there would be those among us who would physically hurt someone when your heart's filled with anger. For most of us, we deal with our hurt in other ways, but as powerful, like for instance, silence. We give each other the ice treatment along the way. You know, I think Carrie and I have been married for 41 years. It's a long time. We're, we're compatible. We're not yellers. We don't, you know, we don't get face-to-face um, in, in a way that's it's really difficult to, to, to be in the same space to hear. But it is difficult to be in the same space because we, we use this. We, we have, let me just say, after 41 years, there are things. She's here right now, so I'm very mindful of everything coming out of my mouth. There are things, but we have to deal with those things. And usually our first response, well, I shouldn't say always, because sometimes we'll just deal with it, but sometimes we just, we give each other the silent treatment. And then we have to get in the car and drive somewhere. And it's just so, you do not want to be in the backseat of the car when this happens. Because Carrie is just courageously looking out this side of the window. And I'm just like, oh, whatever, looking at this. I should be driving, but I'm looking over here. And you can feel the distance. That's how we tend to hurt each other. And then we'll laugh about it later. We can't believe that we would enter into that space. But for many people, it goes far beyond that. Sometimes it's not silence or distance. You find yourself just brewing and mooing. That's mooing, M-O-O-I-N-G. Because you're hard pressed to put words to what you're feeling right now or you're afraid to say what, so you just moo. You're just so angry. And then for others, it moves into gossip and telling everybody else. And then sometimes it moves into hate. Oh, And that breaks the heart of God when we move into this given place. And the outcome is that resentment always hurts you more than it hurts the other person. So I brought an image. This is what your life starts to look like when you move into that given zone. I found this guy with the extra suitcases. They're not his, they're other people's suitcases. He already has his own baggage to wear, but now he's become a victim. And that's what happens with resentment. I become the victim. And so now his baggage is on me as well. And therefore, I'm slow to go. I can't move forward with my life the way God wants me to. And sometimes I can get flat out depressed and get in the fetal position because the weight of it is beyond what I can carry because we become the victim. I appreciate so much the ministry of Martin Luther King Jr., And I've read so much about his life, his biography, and I just think this guy understood the heart of the gospel when it comes to love. And he gives us a correction. He said, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. 
Sometimes the wisdom of another person that God gives you, you just have to sit in that. It's devoid of the power to love. And we don't want to be caught in that place. So let's just take a step back. I don't know the hurt that you're carrying. I don't know the memory that haunts you. And I can't imagine how hard it is to forgive someone when sometimes the offenses against us are so huge. And you think to yourself, I will never forgive that person. And then you encounter Jesus and there's a wrestling match because we can and we must forgive no matter the response of the others who have even come alongside to hurt us. Regardless of the hurt, we forgive because holding on to resentment, if you've heard it said, is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. But you're dying in the midst of it. It messes us up physically, it messes us up spiritually and emotionally. So what does the king do with this unforgiving spirit? He takes him back to that remarkable, sensational, very good, extraordinary day. Look what he says. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? So who is it that's hard to forgive in your life? And how do you step into that wrestling match to be able to provide that gift to others because God has provided it to you? Why do I learn to forgive? Certainly because God forgives me. Certainly because resentment makes me miserable. But then third, because I'm going to need forgiveness again. (laughs) Don't forget this one. (laughs) I'm going to need forgiveness today and tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. And I don't want to live in such a way that I won't receive that forgiveness or doubt that I've received the forgiveness is probably the better way to say it. I'm going to need that forgiveness. So I just sat a little bit with Martin Luther King Jr. and his words related to love, and I journaled this thought, and I want to put it on the screen for you, that forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly, and we all love poorly. So we talk about if we could only get the love thing right, there's no end to what we could be or do for God's glory. We just straight up know we don't always get the love thing right, even though we want to. And so I'm called the practice to receive forgiveness and give forgiveness in the, day, uh, in the days of my life. And in so doing, there is a love that gets exposed that humanity needs and I need that brings us together. It's a powerful, powerful love. And if we don't, well, as in the guy of the story, we see what happens to him. And it's a bit harsh in one sense, but there's a reality to what steps place, and that is the king puts him in jail. That is, he lets him, it's a a metaphor, be enslaved to the resentment and the anger that has taken hold of his heart. Take a look at what he says. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. He's gonna allow you to live in the place of misery and anger in your heart. And how many of you want to live the rest of your days with a resentful heart? Raise your hands. No hands should go up right now. You don't want that because it impacts you and it impacts everybody that is around you. And so you have this reminder of this forgiveness that's there. And it's a, it's a beautiful gift to remember the rhythm of life as we've done with each of these parables. God gives, fill in the blank, forgiveness with 
open hands, we gratefully receive forgiveness. We give away with open hands. We joyfully give away that forgiveness because of what God has given to us, and then God receives glory, honor, and praise. That's the parable. No, I'm not quite done because forgiving is hard, wouldn't you agree? It's not an easy thing. I get questions related to forgiveness and brokenness all the time. It's been 40 years. I I chose four questions that come to me most often with the hope that it might be of encouragement to you. I just want to look at four questions related to how hard it is to forgive, see if we can breathe some truth into them. The first question is, do I need to forgive someone who does not ask for forgiveness? That may be the hardest question um, to answer. Do I need to? Yes, I do. And yet, we have people who say of faith that the Bible nowhere specifies that we have to forgive someone who doesn't ask for forgiveness. But I take a step back from that and think about Jesus on the cross. And while he's being crucified by sinners, he prays to the Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. In other words, he's making available forgiveness even when they're not asking for forgiveness. And so we find in the example of Jesus, he's ready to give it and we are wanting to follow that same suit. And some then will hurt you and they will repent of it, and that's really good, we forgive them. Some will hurt you, and they don't even know they hurt you, which is just completely annoying, <laughs> isn't it? When somebody hurts you, they go, I, I didn't know that I did that to you. <laughs> you go, how do you not know that you brought this hurt along? It's amazing. We have this uncanny, uncanny ability to ignore our ignorance sometimes. We're just not even cognitive of it. And we find here this is the case in this journey, and we want to come in and be in a place where we can live that rhythm of life. Do I need to forgive? Yes. And when? I'm going to come back to that in a moment. I want to first just briefly speak to a little bit more of a whole picture of forgiveness because it has an upward aspect, an inward aspect, and an outward aspect, just to land more fully what forgiveness is. Forgiveness, first of all, has this um, upward aspect where we're embracing divine forgiveness that we know that as Christ followers, we live in a free forgiveness. That's our truth. And we know that he is the king, and kings settle accounts. And therefore, as Christ followers, we also know that it is not our place to seek revenge. It's not even our place to ascertain because we can't exactly what the person deserves because we only see the piece of it that wounds us. We don't understand what's in the heart. Only God does, which gives us a comfort that God in his justice will settle the accounts according to his way, which is better than your way and my way. Amen? Yeah, I hope you believe that. We don't want to step into that place. We want him to step into it. So there we find this reminder that we get to be a a people who trust in God, that we look at Christ and we see his scars. We understand the sacrificial death made on our behalf for our sin, and we live in free forgiveness, gladly receiving it and gladly giving it away. Forgiveness also has an internal aspect. It grants this inward healing that comes to us, and boy, The beauty of forgiveness is the healing that comes on the inside. And that's what we all want to receive. You may not know this, but it only takes one person to forgive. And that's you. It's for you to do what you can do, no matter what the response is of the other, whether they repent or not, you get to offer forgiveness, which puts you in a place of strength in the midst of the hurt that you're going through. And so we find this beautiful call and reminder that our inner healing begins through this act of offering forgiveness. 
because of God's divine forgiveness to us, which means a few things. It calls me to step over all the arguments that cause me to think I'm never gonna forgive that person. That's what divine forgiveness does. It challenges me to think carefully about my need to have the person come to me in full knowledge of the hurt that they've given and say, oh, you were right, I was wrong all along, I'm so sorry. We die to that. And divine forgiveness puts us in this place that demands us to step over the wounded part of our heart that wants to take control and put conditions between us to the end that sometimes then we can never move forward. That's what divine forgiveness does. It has internal healing that is so beautiful and powerful for us. And then there's the outward expression, which is a forging of reconciled relationship, because I think we all know that God would delight and loves when we mutually come together, two broken people, and say, I'm sorry, I forgive you, you're forgiven, and we can move into the future. That's the ideal of what God wants for us. But we don't always live in the ideal. But if forgiveness takes one person, reconciliation takes two people. It takes two to reconcile. So you may have issues with somebody who's already died and passed on. You can forgive, but you can't reconcile. But God wants for us to reconcile where we can. So before the person dies, try to bring the reconciliation. And I've shared this story a number of times because it's the most personal, powerful story in my own life. My parents being divorced at 10, my mom raising seven kids. Let me just say the brokenness was really rough. And the issues um, related to my father, my mother toward my father were great. And they were estranged for decades, for decades. My dad's diagnosed with cancer. My mom has just come to faith in Christ and she says, I wanna meet with your dad. And all of us are like, whoa. It was arranged. And my brother and I were there for that gathering. And we were in another room, but they're meeting together. One hour, two hour, three hours, should we check on them? <laughs> They're just like, what's going on in there? Because they've been estranged, you know? And finally, my mom emerges with joy. They reconciled. And my dad emerged with joy. Can I just tell you that brought healing to me and to my siblings? Because it's not just about the two. There's a ripple effect to this healing that God, he delights when we come together to bring reconciliation. We ought to seek to do that. That's the ultimate goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. Just wanted to give a fuller picture there. And then I go on to the next question. Does forgiving mean forgetting? No. Was that clear enough? Let me expound just briefly on it because there's been confusion around this. When we think of the word forget, we think of something that we are physically unable to remember. It just won't come to us, like those pesky passwords. Does anybody have issue with passwords? <laughs> it's not just me, I hope, because, you know, I've, I've, got, I've got a safe full of um, passwords, but then I have to open the safe, and then I have to find it, so I'd just rather go on my own, typical guy thing, uh, I'll find the street, I'll get to my destination, and I just start typing in the password. For the life of me, I cannot remember it. And we forget, that's how we use the word forget. But is that fair in terms of who God is? God who is omniscient, God who knows all things, is that a fair way to think of God and who he is and what he remembers or not? Because he is all-knowing. He can recall every detail of life when he wants to recall the detail of that life. So then what does Jeremiah mean when he says, I will for God says, I will forgive their sins and will remember their sins no more. Can I just say, don't interpret that to be that God has amnesia. It is not. 
Something is at work here, and there's a mystery to it, but the word here for remember is zakar in Hebrew, and the fuller definition is to recall or to bring to remembrance, and so God will not call to mind in any way those things that would bring destruction. Remember, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's not recalling the past to put it back into your face. This is not a ledger God. Do you know what I mean when I say that? That there are people, there are couples, there are friends who are ledger people. They keep a ledger, a list of all the things that you've done wrong or maybe done right, but there's a ledger there. And the things done wrong, they throw back into your face. So you're stuck moving backwards. But forgiveness is about moving forward. So God chooses not to recall in any way those sins that would bring destruction because we're covered through the beauty of Jesus' righteousness. Here's an analogy that may help on a relational way. What about forgetting our sins? Should we forget our sins and not remember them? Well, the Apostle Paul, as you recall, has a pretty big sin. He said, I am chief among sinners, he calls himself. Remember, he was actively engaged in killing Christians. I would call that big sin, being that I'm a Christian. I feel the <laughs> risk of the Apostle Paul coming at my life in this way, or yours. This is what he says, though, in Philippians 3.13. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but the one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, pressing forward. That's the picture of forgiveness. He doesn't forget. I forget the sense that I did kill those people, but not in the sense that it's not there in my memory. My energy is to move forward to the prize that is in Christ Jesus because it's forward motion. It's not left to keep us stuck in the mud in the past. It's meant to move us forward. And if God does that where there's murder, it's extraordinary it does to keep us moving forward into the future. So what happens when I do remember? I remember a particular sin against my mother when I was a young boy. I wish I didn't remember it, quite honestly, but I remember it. But it's there not in order to bring more hurt to me. It's there to be humbled out of the reality of our capacity and not forget the remarkable, sensational, very good, extraordinary day when he forgives us of our sin. That's the gift. One more question, just briefly, and that is, when should I forgive, immediately or over time? This is a both and. Jesus forgives immediately, but we also understand Jesus lived a perfect life. We're learning to grow to be like Jesus, but we sometimes need a little more time. But some people still forgive immediately. You might recall the, the story in Charleston, South Carolina, a few years back in that church where the Bible study was taking place and a white supremacist bar, um, barged in, took the life of nine people who were in a Bible study. And if you recall, that thing hit national news. It hit national news for the tragedy of the mass killing, but also because some of the relatives of, of those people who were killed spoke before the public to our whole nation and proclaimed, I forgive the shooter. I forgive you. And in the court hearing that took place, they looked him in the face and said, I forgive you. And it created an uproar in our country as to whether or not forgiveness is just this cheap thing that we do. No, it is not. It's flowing from them out of divine grace. And for them, for some of them, they were able to do that immediately. But for some of them, it took more time. It didn't happen immediately. And for you, it may take time. And yet, we can and we must forgive. You've heard um, of C.S. Lewis. And for some people, a definite decision is just enough. But for others, it's surely a long journey of forgiveness. And I wanted to read just a, a little bit from a letter that he wrote a few weeks before he died to his best friend. These words, he said... 
I have at last forgiven the cruel schoolmaster who darkened my childhood. I've attempted to do this many times, but this time it is the real thing. It can be a process, but we can and we must forgive. You've heard the phrase that hurting people hurt people. Well, forgiven people forgive people. So I want you to leave here today being in awe that you are under the umbrella of God's mercy. And let that wash over you that I am forgiven because it sets us free for the future. In fact, I'm gonna invite you to stand at all of our sites. If you would do this, please stand where you are. And I'm gonna invite you into a humble posture and just create the umbrella of mercy over your head for just a moment and say these three words, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. And as I receive forgiveness, when I receive it, and when I give it, I live the remarkable, sensational, very good, extraordinary day. And it's good for me, and it's good for those that I forgive. You may release your hands and receive this prayer. Lord, we know some of your messages just hit us. And we have to leave a different people. That within our spheres of influence, there are people who have hurt us. And we have a hard time forgiving them. And on this day, I pray that you do the work of the cross within each of us to be in wow over the mercy that would set us free, the forgiveness of sin and discern how we might move forward in forgiving others as we have been forgiven. We can't do that alone. We need your help. Faith is readiness. We're ready for you to help us. We make ourselves available and are so grateful that this was so important to you that you include it in the template of our praying. And so we pray as you taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Would you join me? Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen, amen, and amen.